1: <music> Very
0: spooky. Hello. Booya. Booyah. Yeah. Booya. Hey, it's two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hi. And I'm Sabrina. And this is an Encounters episode. We're just going to cut right to it. Because we want to hear your haunted stories. Yeah. I think I am first. Because, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'll go. (laughs) I never know. I just agree with you every time. Thank you. (laughs) You probably shouldn't do that because I feel like I'm probably wrong. It doesn't matter.
0: Does it matter? I don't, I don't think know. So. Do people do tell us? Do you think it matters? Probably not. No one cares. Okay, this is from Kelsey, and it's called "Haunted Friends, Psychic Sisters, and Maybe an Incubus."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, Sabrina. Well, I just put my name first. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Corinne, Sabrina, Nick, and Leia. I have been listening to your podcast for about a year now. I drive a lot for work and family, and your podcast is basically the only thing I listen to when I hop in my car. I know people say this a lot, but you girls truly do feel like I'm hanging out with girlfriends and make my drive so fun and easy because I'm a very nervous driver. So I have finally caught up on all of your episodes and thought it was about time to share my encounters with you. My first story, which I will call High School BFF's Haunted Home. I start with this story because it spanned the four years of high school, and since I'm no longer close with this friend and her family, I'll change the names. But we'll call my old girlfriend Vicky. Vicki and her family moved into our small town and into an old part of town where the houses are well over 100 years old, with fancy old brick and paneling. They're gorgeous homes, and her place used to be a doctor's office, a lawyer's office, and then something else that slips my mind, but you get it. There's a lot of history. When Vicki and her family moved in, from what I understand, they were bombarded with spirit activity. I wouldn't be surprised if they still are. I'm sure there are a 100 stories she could tell, but I'll try to tell you girls the ones that stick out in my memory. Vicky told me that one night she went downstairs for a drink of water in the middle of the night in the pitch black. When she was about to walk back upstairs to head to bed in her semi-sleepy, groggy state, she said she remembered just naturally moving to the one side of the stairs as she ascended, as if to let someone else pass her on the staircase. When she got to the top, she realized that was odd and looked back and saw a misty figure moving down the staircase. Another time, they had a friend staying over in their spare room and fought all night with something tugging the covers off the bed. Not entirely sure why she stayed the entire night. Lastly, I had my own experience there. One night, I went to bed early and left Vicky and her sister gabbing away downstairs. The light was on in the hallway, but the door was shut and the room dark, apart from the light creeping out from under the door. As I was trying to get some sleep, I heard an audible sigh or breath. And when I looked up, I saw two legs blocking the light and someone standing there, darker than the dark of the room. Ooh. I didn't feel threatened, but looking back, I wonder how I couldn't. I was vulnerable and alone. But I just pulled the covers over my head and texted Vicky that somebody was in the room and she needed to get her ass upstairs now. And her and her sister came up and I proceeded to tell them what happened. And when that was over, I needed them all to squeeze into the tiny bed and we slept, the three of us, in the twin bed together for safety. I was very dramatic and I still am 10 years later. Okay, moving on to the next story. My sister maybe the psychic and how I became obsessed with ghosts. When I was younger, about eight, my mom and I moved into a home in Muskoka, Ontario, a cottage country in Canada with her new fiance who had children, his daughter, Haley, a year younger than me, and his son, Taylor, who was a year older than me. We all became immediate best friends and our parents aren't together anymore and haven't been for 14 years, but they are still my siblings and best friends. And our childhood was great, but also super spooky and ghost obsessed. We watched a lot of horror movies, and their dad actually used to scare us by tapping on the outside of our bedroom windows or scratch on the walls after watching movies like The Blair Witch Project (laughs) or The Exorcist at prepubescent ages. That is so funny. Yeah, maybe that's what fucked us up. But anyway, (laughs) in the house we lived in, we would hear the cutlery drawers and cupboard doors opening in the kitchen, and our parents slept downstairs, and it was never them. They were never awake or heard any of it, and they never believed us kids. I mean, looking back, I don't blame them. We may have had morbid interests and overactive imaginations. We always wanted to ghost hunt in our attic, but either we would fall asleep waiting for 3am to come, or we all got too scared. Anyway, moving on to Haley, who I believe had some sort of psychic ability that I'm not sure she's been aware about and still doesn't totally accept or acknowledge. Haley used to tell me and Taylor about a girl that would sit on a chair in our room and watch her while she slept. I never saw this girl, but Haley always did. My sister also sometimes has prophetic dreams. Recently, she had one about my brother completely burning his whole right arm off. And she called him in the morning and he told her that the day before he got a second degree burn from cooking. I know she's told me more, but I forget. But I'm building all of this up for the big what the fuck story. Last summer, Haley and I were catching up. She lives three hours away from me down in Toronto, so it's always a treat to see her, and we always get into some weird situations. Let me explain. So this was a warm night and we were driving around and decided it would be a smart idea to go to a graveyard and tap in and see what we get. Saying it now sounds dumb, but I will preface the story that in my spiritual practice, I've amplified my empathy and can really feel others' emotions so strongly and vividly. I get a tightness in my chest if the person beside me gets excited, anxious, scared, all the intense physical emotions. Anyway, we're walking around the graveyard and decide to settle in on a nice patch in an area we felt good about. And we started to meditate and quiet our minds. Immediately, Haley started saying she was picking up on an energy that, excuse me, but started turning her on. She was saying she felt like someone was making her giddy and it felt like she was on a date with someone and she was getting horny. As she was feeling all these feelings, I started feeling overwhelming dread and like I was intruding and something didn't want me there. This feeling went on for like five minutes and then abruptly stopped. Haley said that in her mind, she communicated to whatever this was and to leave me alone and not to make me feel uncomfortable. At the same time, she asked that of the spirit, the scary feelings somewhat went away. But I still felt like we needed to get it out of there. I finally convinced my sister to break up her little sexy date and that we needed to go or move. As we walked away, she felt it follow us to the car. As we were walking, I got the tightness in my chest and started getting anxiety. I asked Haley what was wrong, and she said she started getting scared, and she thought she saw something behind some trees watching us. My big sister mode kicked in, and I sped-walked us to my car and hightailed it out of there. All of the feelings we had diminished, and we went home unscathed. I think and hope. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts, theories, and opinions. Love, 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 you guys, and I'll see you on the other side. Kelsey. P.S. Nick. Just get Sabrina a new cat already. <laughs> Thank you, Kelsey.
1: Wow, okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm kind of in agreement with her that it does sound like there was an incubus nearby, especially if she was filled with dread and, and kind of like just right had those negative vibes sent towards her where she felt like she shouldn't be in the space anymore. Meanwhile, her sister was getting like the complete opposite right. directed towards
0: her. It makes you think because, yeah. Although, just because I don't want to think it was an incubus, but I also feel like incubus by our I don't know that I've known them to be as like flirtatious and like charming as they were to her sister like I feel like they've been there in the stories that I've heard and read they're forceful so part of me wonders if it was like a spirit who just really liked her sister and was like flirting with her and trying to like get along with her and then was annoyed by this third wheel
1: right although maybe yeah I mean there could be spirits that are like that and then there also could be incubi that are also different, you know, kind of like shadow yeah. people, maybe they come in different variations because I'm just thinking about when we did the episode where <laughs> I think we've done a few of them where we just talked about the women who marry ghosts or have sexual yeah. relations with ghosts. And I covered like celebrity sex with ghosts and there were a ton, yeah, a ton of that's people. That's true. And so- My girl Kesha. Yeah. Don't you kind of think that that's probably more of like incubus
0: succubus than anything? Right. Right. Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah, you're right. I just don't like to – I just don't like the idea of them. I know. But you're right because then they started getting a really negative feeling as they were walking away. Like this entity was like, wait, don't leave. And it felt like it was watching them. Yeah. It's interesting too that she – like her body was responding, but her brain knew that something was wrong. Right, right. And it sounds like her sister just has strong abilities as well already.
1: Everyone around her, her best friend. Yeah. saw so much. And she saw stuff at her best friend's house. That's scary. The
0: that that image of you sleeping and the only light coming from underneath the door, and then all of a sudden, like two feet mm. are blocking oh, that, chills. is a terrifying image.
1: Yeah, that's nightmare-inducing. That's literally yeah. like you go, you sit down at a theater seat, and you're watching The Conjuring, and you can't get through the whole movie because, like, that is a scene that would be in there. Yes, so so scary. Oh my gosh, I'm not that's gonna spray at- now that's stained into my memory. I didn't write it. I didn't experience it. Blame Kelsey. <laughs> it is Kelsey's fault. You're right. <laughs>
0: All right, what do you have?
1: I have a spooky farm, a crazy aunt and an emotional support ghost. Uh
0: love the combo of that. <laughs>
1: Hey Gustases, my name is Brianna and I'm from a small town in West Michigan. I've been a fan for a while now and you guys keep me sane at work and I've been putting off writing because I'm lazy trash. (laughs) Anyway, I have a few stories and I've debated on only telling some of them, but hey, why not? I'll just put it all out there. Some of these are firsthand from some of my family members and you definitely don't have to read all of them if you decide that they're podcast worthy or not. You can just take out my rambling. Well, guess what, Brianna? I'm reading the entire thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So backstory, I grew up on a small farm on a road, and there were three houses. My house on one side, and on the other side was my grandma's old farmhouse and my aunt and uncle's double-wide. Also on that side was a barn and a pasture, and the closest neighbor is over a mile away. So super spooky. No one will hear you scream. Distance. Uh, Uh One of the spookiest stories was one night we were doing a family camp out at our pond and we have campers and for electricity we use a generator. Typically the generator will run out of gas at night so my dad went to fill it and while he was filling it he heard someone walking up behind him. He just assumed it was my brother and ignored it. It just kind of loomed over him for a minute. My brother is typically quiet so he wasn't alarmed by this but I guess something was wrong and he asked my quote brother To pick up the flashlight and shine it on his generator so that he could see what he was doing. And he did. And when my dad was done, he turned around to head back. And as he did, whatever it was disappeared and the flashlight fell to the ground. Don't you just have full body chills right now? Yeah. (sighs) We also have a little girl around four or five who will poke either me or my mom until we wake up and then she disappears. My little brother was always convinced that there were red dots living in his closet and that they would scare him at night. My sister had a ghost friend named Bob, who is eight years old, colorblind, loves music, and talks to my sister a lot, which is scary. I learned about Bob one night when I was home alone with my sister and heard her talking in her room. When I asked her who she was talking to and if she was possessed, she said Mm -hmm. no. She was talking to Bob, the little boy who likes for her to describe colors to him and sing to him, and they've been talking since she was five. I love that she asks. Are you possessed? Are you? Yeah, it's such an older <laughs> sister thing to do. What is wrong with you? Are you possessed? Oh, love it. She's been talking to him since she was five. So I just closed the door and I left her alone for the rest of the night. She's eleven. Every girl for herself at this point. <laughs> on a more emotional, positive, and wholesome topic, my grandpa likes to visit me on special occasions. Here's the backstory on that. Growing up, I didn't have the best life. My sperm donor was an abusive asshat. That's another story. Just know that my mom met my real dad when I was three and they got married and had two little shits and everything's good now. After my mom left Satan and Garnet, (laughs) we moved in with my grandparents and I was always insanely close to my grandpa. He used to bring me around to do jobs for people and just run errands and snowplow and we loved to watch Tarzan and The Sound of Music and NCIS together. But in September 2016, he was diagnosed with brain and lung cancer. He was an Mm -hmm. avid smoker his whole life. This hit hard watching your best friend, the man who shaped you into who you are, die. And it was one of the hardest things I had ever gone through. And I'm crying while writing this, so bear with me. We were told that we would have eight months with him, which meant he'd make it to see me graduate high school. No such luck. He passed away on December 3rd. I was in the room when he took his last breath and it killed me. I felt like a part of me was gone. I went into this very dark depression, but spoiler alert, this ends happy. That January, we had my dad's birthday. Everyone was over. We had food. We ate cake. And as we were singing happy birthday, I was sitting in the chair next to where my grandpa always sat and I felt a hand on my shoulder. I can't explain it, but I knew it was him. I felt Mm. his presence behind me and it was comforting and I cried happy tears. I've never told anyone why. They all just knew that I was going through it. And so they let me be. I've seen him a few times these last few years in crowds at parties, walking up to meet my brother's football games or sister's orchestra concerts, and it always brings me peace. Aww. But as for the happy ending, I'm in a much better place now, and I've been seeing a therapist and taking antidepressants for three months, and honestly, my life is just going uphill. Yes! Yes! I'm going to college in the fall and starting a new job next month that gives me more free time, and I get paid the same. Woohoo! Yes! Anyway, here's a funny lighthearted ghost story that me and my best friend still laugh about to this day. This one's kind of long, but me and my best friend met in 2006 at a campout my aunt and uncle used to throw every year, and all of us kids used to play a game at night called Bloody Murder. Basically, there's a base camp where everyone counts to 100, while one person, the murderer, goes and hides somewhere, and the group all splits up and look for the murderer, and once you find them, you have to scream Bloody Murder and run back to the base camp, And if they tag you first, you're the next murderer. This is like Black Cat. Or like cops and robbers a little bit. Yeah. Keep in mind, we live in the country. It's all woods and open fields, so it adds extra spookiness. At this time, my best friend and I were 10 and 11 and scared little shits, so we (laughs) half-assed participated mostly, and we just stuck around the adults at the bonfire. But man, oh man, did we choose a good night to pretend to be brave. It was late at night. We had all counted to 100 and broke off. Me and Ashley were wandering around the open field when out of the corner of our eye, we saw this white figure in a dress sprinting across the field towards the front of the house. Obviously, we were freaked the fuck out and we ran back to the fire into the safety of the adults, screaming. We told them about the lady in white running to the house and they seemed freaked too. Then we heard screaming from the front yard and the group that went that way came running like hell. We all sat there a while, maybe 10 minutes go by and look up. The figure is just standing out in the middle of the field, still as a statue. Once I pointed it out, we were all freaking out, and she started running towards us. (gasps) We all froze as she got closer, and then we heard laughing. And when she was close enough, we all recognized that it was my Aunt Jennifer, dressed in a white nightgown that she had bought at a garage sale earlier that day. Oh my god. Needless to say, I am traumatized, and I blame her for my obsession with all things creepy and spooky. I'll see you lovely ladies on the other side. Yours spookily, Brianna. P.S. Here's a picture of my new calf, Betty, and my rescue rooster, King Tut, for a cute moment. It's so cute.
0: Oh, man. I was like, where's the funny part of this story? Yeah. This ghost is running at you. A lady in white running at you through the field. It's terrifying, but I'm obsessed with her aunt, Jennifer. Jennifer. Everyone needs to be like Jennifer. I'm going to channel Jennifer for the rest of my life. (laughs)
1: Take Starting today's inspiration.
0: Yeah, wow. that is what
1: yard sales are for—to find old white nightgowns yes. and then scare the shit out of all of your extended family at a campout. Oh,
0: so good, <laughs> so good. Oh my gosh, so wild! But the story of her dad and the
1: flashlight—like, who was it? Yeah, and just like someone looming over. It makes me almost wonder if, since it is, I'm assuming farmland, I, I wonder if maybe it had been like a farmer or someone who had just like lived on the property years ago and maybe the spirit was just like, I don't know. Like I, I'm i thinking of my dad and the way that he behaves with a lot of his friends and like with his family. that grew up in rural areas and you just kind of like walk up and be like, hey there, like what are you working on? You need help? Yeah. Yeah. Do you need help? And then yeah. suddenly you're doing a whole day's work like fixing up someone's car or like helping someone rewire something or building a shed. And it's just yeah. because like that's the way you behave. And so I almost assume – Or I like to think that maybe it was just a spirit doing that same thing. Like, what's going on? And then they're like, can you hold the flashlight? And it's like, yeah, that's just what you do. You pick up the flashlight.
0: That's true. And it does feel like just based on her stories and the way that she was writing them, like with her sister, who she just like left her alone with Bob because she was like, well, every woman for themselves. (laughs) It just reminds me kind of the way that your family deals with the paranormal because it's just so commonplace that it's like, that's just another ghost. All right. You're not possessed. We're good. Yeah. Have fun. We're almost
1: more scared talking about it after the fact and just thinking about it than we are in the actual moment of experiencing paranormal activity. Yeah. Because most of the time it's very benign, but also we don't have full-on conversations with colorblind children who want us to read to them. Right.
0: No, that's very true.
1: You don't do that? No, I haven't yet, but I bet tonight's going to be the night.
0: <laughs> I hope you update us. I hope you make it out okay.
1: I will it's just so beautiful that her grandfather also visited her and and like comforts her and will appear in different moments especially like family events like a sporting event or a music event i love it
0: with linkedin jobs we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need marketing wizards found them software engineers found that project manager i could never seem to hire and found LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, this is from Sophie, and it's called Pretty Sure I Was Dating the Devil's Paperboy. Hi, Corinne and Sabrina. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and I love it so much. Thank you for consistently terrifying me. It is very much appreciated. Wow, she has our same sensibility. Love it. (laughs) So I have a story about, I think, a haunting. I don't really know, and quite honestly, and I am still having a hard time wrapping my head around it. I apologize for how long the story is. I've tried my hardest to consolidate it, but it's a story that spans over three months, and I haven't told anyone the extent of the story and what happened after, but I needed to tell someone. Okay, so during my senior year of college... I lived in Hamilton Heights and went to school in New York City. A couple of acquaintances of mine asked to be a guest on their podcast to talk about relationship issues of our generation, and I was just getting out of an extremely manipulative and psychologically abusive situation and was taking time to heal. During this podcast recording, I met their friend for the sake of privacy, let's call him Raphael, and during the podcast, he and I hit it off and ended up talking and getting to know each other. As we grew close, he confided in me about a lot of really dark things and his painful mental health history. This relationship grew to be extremely intense where emotions, especially negative ones, were high and feelings were always heightened, which from my experience I knew was not a good sign. One day when I was running errands for my job, I was walking past this big neo-baroque style church. I was raised Roman Catholic and was always drawn to the big and kind of scary versions of Catholicism. I had been estranged from my religion for 15 years at that point because I had lost a lot of faith in God when my grandfather passed away. Anyway, I saw this church and I thought, wow, this is so beautiful. I should go in. But I was running on a tight schedule for work, so I convinced myself not to. As I agreed in my mind that I would not go in, I realized I was already in the church sitting in a pew. I had no recollection of my walking up the steps or walking into the church whatsoever, And I decided to pray for the first time in over a decade and found myself sobbing as I prayed for the healing of my pain and to help Raphael find happiness, whether it be with or without me in his life. After nearly an hour, I gathered myself and left, feeling the lightest that I had felt in years. Fast forward to a conversation with Raphael. I expressed that I have always been fearful of the paranormal because there's so much unknown. What I did not tell him was that the reason I was so scared was because I have had countless situations where I've been able to dream the future and have mysteriously known detailed private information about places I've never been when I visit them for the first time. I don't know what this is, but it still freaks me out. Anyway, I told him that one of the things that really freaked me out was the nun from The Conjuring. He laughed at how petrified I was and said that he wasn't really scared because he has a different understanding of demons. And I thought, what? I thought it was universally understood that demons are bad. I shrugged it off to his face and carried on. Well, things had gone south in our relationship. He stood me up six times with no excuse, and I finally decided I was done with him. I let him know that we were over, and he called me and begged to make it up to me. My, being a hopeless romantic, thought he would change. He came over that night, and we talked about shit, and I showed him this video I saw on Twitter of a goat at the front door of a house with glowing eyes attempting to walk into the house. I showed it to him, talking about how it's terrifying considering the satanic symbolism associated with goats. And he laughed and said, I'm not scared by them. I asked him why, and he told me why he had this different understanding of demons. He told me a series of stories that started with when he was born, and he was surrounded by death, where one of his grandparents died an hour before his birth, and the other an hour after. He was born at 6 p.m. on the dot. He told me a bunch of stories where he encountered the paranormal, and they physically hurt him. One story included being branded by an iron. Yes, I saw the scar. It was real. His life was a series of 13 and sixes from the number of stairs to the number of times he projectile vomited when stepping into churches. The last story of his was what shook me to my core. He told me about how he was once coming out of a medically induced coma and saw a tall skinny man wearing a trench coat and a top hat at the foot of his hospital bed. The man told him, it's not your time to leave here. You still have work that I need you to do. Raphael told me that in this man's presence, he felt complete warmth and comfort. He asked the tall man what his name was and the tall man replied, Lucifer, then immediately left. Raphael's father came into the hospital room right after the tall man left, and Raphael asked if he had seen the man when he walked in. According to Raphael's father, no one, not a nurse, not a doctor, had been in his room for hours or since he woke up. Raphael finished his story, and I simply said, Okay, and went back to writing one of my papers for class. Thirty seconds into typing my paper, I was overcome with sadness and I felt like a bag of stones. You know that feeling when you get your heart broken and want to curl up into a ball in the corner of your bed? Yeah, well that was the feeling I had. I felt like I wanted to cry, and the softly lit room we were in suddenly seemed significantly darker. But what was the worst part was I felt like I was being watched. I continued to type until Raphael looked at me and said, did you feel that energy change, or is it just me? I asked him what he felt, and he said, I feel like a bag of rocks, and I feel like someone is watching me. I didn't acknowledge what he said and went back to writing my paper, and he went to sleep as I continued to work but I felt the same feeling of being watched the entire time. I finished my paper and decided to sleep for a bit. And at 6.30 a.m., I closed my laptop, laid my head down, closed my eyes, and put my hand on Raphael's shoulder. The moment I touched his shoulder, I received this intense vision of the church that I was drawn to. I was sitting in the pew that I prayed in and saw a nun at the back of the center aisle. She turned her head and looked at me with black eyes, a gray and blue wrinkled and cracked face, and smiled with a slimy gray mouth, with yellow teeth. The second she reached a full smile, I opened my eyes with tears running down my face to see Raphael staring at me. "'Sleep well?' he said. I said yes and looked at the clock. It was 6.33am. I got up and decided to finish up my paper as he got ready to leave. I still had this feeling that I was being watched and was honestly terrified. He got ready to open the door and told me he thinks someone is on the other side of my bedroom door. He opened the door and I was ready to see someone, but there was nothing. He left and I still had the feeling I was being watched— And as if someone was behind me, I FaceTimed a friend and asked her what to do. And so she had me talk with her super Catholic roommate who said I needed to go to a priest to get blessed. I ran to campus, which was an hour away and listened to the scary kind of Catholic music on my way. The kind where you can't really understand what they're saying because they're singing so slowly, that kind of music. I got to the campus priest and explained what happened. And I asked him to bless my apartment, but he said it wouldn't work unless everyone that lived in that apartment believed in God. And with my luck, I had two atheist roommates. He blessed me and gave me a prayer book. I went home and stayed to the apartment while repeating the prayer of St. Michael the Archangel in every room. But the prayers did nothing except stimulate activity. I began seeing shadow figures, grew severely depressed, witnessed handprints imprint themselves in my blinds when there was no wind flow in the apartment, had to deal with our apartment becoming infested with moths that flocked to my room, and had heavy four-wick candles fly off shelves, almost breaking windows, Mud rising through the floorboards. Mind you, I lived on the fifth floor. What? But worst of all, any time our cat would look at me, she would look behind me and hiss and swat at midair. Oh my
1: goodness. I went back
0: to the campus church and prayed for Raphael once again. I told God that I wanted him to be happy and to experience love for himself. Raphael and I continued to talk, and I, at the time, thought that the power of my love could help him. Basically, I thought, I'm a Pisces. I can fight the devil. I went home to California for Christmas break with Raphael still in my life, and within the first week home, I had a surgery scheduled and was nervous because this was my first time under anesthesia. I woke up the morning of my surgery to a text message from Raphael ending things with me because, quote-unquote, some things happened. I successfully made it through my surgery and was healing accordingly without Raphael in my life, until one month after I had developed overnight a really bad infection at the incision site. After I went to the doctors, I looked at my phone, and while in the appointment, I received a text from Raphael. This time, I was not welcoming his presence whatsoever, and when I returned to my apartment in New York City, all this weird shit that was going on had stopped completely. The cat stopped hissing, there were no more handprints, our moth infestation suddenly cured itself without my roommates doing anything, my candles stopped flying, and I no longer had anxiety that someone was watching me. I think that maybe God was protecting me during my surgery because clearly... I was stupid and needed some saving before it was too late. But yeah, that's my story, and the friend I confided in is convinced that he is the Antichrist, but who knows, he is not my problem anymore, and hopefully he's no one else's either. I have one more story, which is really heartwarming, but also trigger warning. I've never told anyone this story because it gets me super emotional. In the fall of 2015, I lost my best friend Justin to cancer. He was like my little brother, and I was torn because he had so much more life to live. He passed when he was 16 years old. I wasn't able to go to his funeral in California because of school. Instead, as a way of my paying respects to him, I got my first and only tattoo of a J in his handwriting behind my right ear to commemorate his positive outlook on life. In January of 2017, I was sexually assaulted in my college dorm room. The next day, I reported it to my school and was fearful of falling asleep since I was afraid that my attacker would somehow find his way back into my room. I was petrified of being alone and couldn't close my eyes without reliving what had happened. As I was sobbing and pleading with the world, asking for someone to save me, the light in my room grew to be blindingly bright. Through my tears, it was pure white light, and I heard a voice in my right ear say, It's okay, Sophie. You're safe now. It will all be all right. You're stronger than this, and I'm here with you. I immediately recognized the voice in my ear. It was Justin. That was my only encounter ever hearing Justin, but every step of the coping process, I felt his warm presence every time that I felt I was alone and hopeless. Thanks for reading my super long email. Keep up the amazing work, ladies. I can't wait to continue to learn and be spooked by the ghostly ghouls. Stay phenomenal and please sage after reading this email. Sending light and love, Sophie. Well, I sure as heck am going to listen to her and I'm going to sage
1: after this. <laughs> I don't I don't think I have any sage. Sabrina, I, I wish might. I could send you a look a bundle. I've I've got plenty here in Vermont. I'll do
0: like some incantations.
1: Yeah, do the ribbon wrapping technique. Oh, that's the meditation. a great idea. Okay, well, starting with her final story with her experience with Justin, it's such an awful thing to have essentially two tragedies happen back to back. Right. For her to lose her best friend and, and not be able to attend the services and then to be attacked like that and to be so fearful. I know. But it's so awful. For Justin to come and like give her all of that, not just the Positive energy, but to like actually say and deliver that message is, I'm sure,
0: so comforting. And I love that she had the tattoo behind her ear, and that's also like where he whispered to her. Like he is always with her. As for Raphael, though, this is like a Rick Rick situation. I know it feels kind of Rick like, and I want to know because his text when he broke up with her of some things. Happened? What things? What things? What is happening to Raphael? And I know, good riddance that we don't really want him in anyone's life. But I need to know. Like, I also really want to know more. Yeah, I know because I'm curious if Sophie
1: asked or if she just kind of like. I wonder if there was some sort of like lifted light and positivity when he ended things. So maybe she didn't even dig further because it was a bit of relief. I'm sure it was a lot of relief. I'm also curious too. So like the time he was born and just like all of the patterns of his life and all of the experiences Mm -hmm. and just him feeling good around Lucifer versus God and vomiting in every church that he goes into, it makes me wonder if like at first I was thinking, oh my gosh, like these poor souls that this is happening to, I wonder if someone's like essentially targeted and- they have to like live with this darkness their whole life. But maybe they're not even their soul isn't even that. I wonder if there are dark souls that essentially belong to, let's say, the devil over whatever else version of heaven and God you believe in. If any. I wonder if there is like also dark versions that are also just born into human bodies, just like the rest of us.
0: Yeah. It makes you think of like nurture versus nature a little bit, like Are you born this way or is it – are you, like, possessed, you know? Yeah. But it's so curious to me. It, like, reminds me of a plot line that would be in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Like, Lucifer has a child. Right. And I'm pretty sure American Horror Story just did a plot line like that.
1: Inspiration from
0: somewhere, right? Probably happened. I'm just glad, Sophie, that you are okay and that you have found peace and light. And maybe that's why Raphael couldn't be with you because there was too much positivity and lightness in you. Right.
1: And awareness, too, of the darkness, you know? Yeah.
0: Of that nun, the, like, vision she had. And then waking up to him being like, did you sleep well? Uh,
1: yeah, I'd be like, fuck no. <laughs> You're still in my apartment, you creep. <laughs> and when he was like, someone's on the other side of the door.
0: Yeah. Ooh. It's like, yeah, you invited them, Raphael. I know.
1: I wonder if there were ever moments where she did feel like, protected and warm in his presence or if it was always, like, a bit on edge because you weren't sure of what sort of, like, things would come with his energy. Yeah. This is from Carrie and it is called Creepy Shit Kids Say. Love a good creepy kid story. Hey, ladies. First of all, I love your podcast and I've been binging them and creeping my coworkers out for the past two weeks. Feel free to use my story in an episode. My older sister has two boys. They both have different dads, but they are only about 15 months apart. Anyways, when the boys were maybe three and four, her father-in-law, the youngest son's grandfather, became very sick. The religion of the family made them want him home for his final days. Well, the night he passed away, the boys were already asleep and on the other side of the house. My sister went in to tell the boys that he had gone to heaven. My youngest nephew said, I know, he came in here and said that he loved us and gave us both a kiss on the head. Aw, Needless to say, my sister was a little freaked out. His funeral was in a different state, so my sister stayed at the house to watch the animals. The day after they left, the house phone in the kitchen kept beeping, saying that a phone was off the hook. When my sister picked up the phone and listened, there was no sound. She went around and chucked all of the phones except for the one in the master bedroom because it was locked, and that is where her father-in-law had passed away. So she was super scared, so she called her husband on the cell phone and told him what was going on. He put his mom on the phone and she said, well, we believe that for three days after somebody dies, they come to visit family to make sure that they are okay. Just go inside, tell them that you know he's there, but he's scaring you. So that is what she did. And the phone doc showed that everything was normal. Safe to say my sister never stayed at
0: that house alone
1: again. But stay spooky and see you on the other side. XOXO, Carrie.
0: Oh, well, at least, like, they knew who it was, and it was it was well-intentioned. And, it was meant
1: to be, like, a loving hello. Right.
0: And then he respected her when she said, you're scaring me. Right. And he was just like, all right, I'm going to hang up the phone, and I'll let you be. Exactly. And I just love the uh, – I love stories about children. As, as sad and hard as it is to lose a loved one, I just – I do love the idea that they go to see your children, and they say goodbye.
1: I know, and a kiss on the forehead. Mm-hmm. That's very sweet. And almost like, not even just like a kiss and a goodbye, but like delivering an understanding and a sense of peace to children because it would Uh, be scary. I I don't know. I still imagine like the amount of sadness and grief and and just like fear that you would have as a child to know that someone passed away.
0: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Because when my grandfather passed away, my brother was really, really young. I think he was like five. Yeah. He was young. And My parents told my sister and I first, and then they, like, didn't know how to tell my brother. It was, like, a really hard thing for them to tell him and for him to understand. But just hearing stories like this where the loved one visits the children and they have this innate understanding of what happened and Mm -hmm. are okay, and I think that's really special. It is. Okay. I have another story from Dana, and it's called Creepy ER Story and Weird Paranormally Shit potentially unresolved daddy issues question mark (laughs) (laughs) hi corinne sabrina and the podcast ghost as per usual i'm writing you because i'm a huge fan of the show and i also have a super messed up er story and when you did your recent hospital episode i was reminded that i finally have a spooky story for you guys so my dad is an er doctor on cape cod in massachusetts but before he got that upgrade to be pronounced like beyonce would sing it so upgrade i don't know is that how beyonce would sing it Let me upgrade ya. Okay. Thank you, Corinne. Before he got that upgrade, he was working off student loans as basically an indentured servant doctor just outside Savannah, Georgia, where I was born before we moved. He has a lot of wacky, often creepy stories from this time in his life, but this is one Savannah story that I make the poor man repeat all the time because apparently I like watching people nearly vomit. He describes these shifts as long and chaotic and understaffed, especially as a new doctor with a new family. Basically picture any dramatic scene on ER or Grey's Anatomy or whatever, and that is real life, except people are rarely so hot and all having sex with each other between surgeries. One night, a young woman, early 20s or so, was rushed in from a car accident. Her car was totaled, and so was her body. She had fractured bones almost everywhere, massive lacerations, internal hemorrhaging, and worst of all, her left arm was basically hanging on by a thread. So the hospital staff, led by my dad, are all frantically trying to keep this girl alive. She was unconscious and losing tons of blood, and it was not going well. Everyone was running around and yelling, and then this woman started to flatline. Minutes go by, and there are tubes and pumps and machines and nurses, but nothing happens, and they finally call it time of death 2.46 a.m. Everyone starts to leave the room with only a few staff members left cleaning up, and my dad, who had before been all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, stands to the right of this young woman whose life had just ended his mind blank and he feels such a heavy sadness the room is quiet and full of death and loss and suddenly the girl whips her basically detached left arm over her body and somehow fully grips my dad's scrubs pulls him down closer to her face looks him in the eyes with a mouthful of blood and gasps help me Oh and then god. drops back down on the gurney and dies again. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's full body chills. She was still hooked up to the machines and her pulse never came back. And honestly, my dad's may not have either. <gasps> what freaks me out about this story is that my dad is very level-headed and not into anything supernatural or inexplicable. He, like many doctors, desperately needs to understand everything in no way more than everyone else and always be right. This basically makes anything that defies logic his worst nightmare. Safe to say it's nightmarish regardless of what you're afraid of. Well, now I've sufficiently scared myself despite hearing this story a million times. I hadn't had a paranormal experience of my own when I started listening to your podcast. That is until my boyfriend and I went to southern France and I legit had a three-hour conversation with a ghost and then never slept again the rest of the trip. It's a long one and probably makes me sound insane, but I'm happy to send it in if you want. Yes! Yes! Yes. Thanks again for keeping my life so spooky with your podcast I was at your Boston show and had such a great time. (gasps) Hope to see you again soon. And of course, see you on the other side. All the love, Dana.
1: Okay, dying to figure out (laughs) what the hell she talked to a ghost about for three hours. And how she figured out that it was a ghost. So Dana, please send in that story. Please. What a cliffhanger. But, oh my goodness, what do you think happened?
0: (sighs) I don't know. There's so many, like, I know that she said the woman was still hooked up to the machines, but like... Is there, you know, like, could something have been disconnected that would have just, like, not read vitals? Or was it the ghost? I don't know. I know.
1: Because I almost picture the woman, her spirit above her body watching the doctors work on her. And then when she sees that she has died, I just, like, kind of envision her, like, you know, like Casper, the way he, like, floats about. Just kind Mm -hmm. of, like, dive-bombing into her body, being like,
0: no, no, try harder. Or even, like, her spirit leaving her body and, like, trying to clutch trying to stay in, but then... Oh, God. Freaks me out. But, oh, my gosh. Because we've talked about before where... I think it was our mortuary episode where I talked about different stories of people who have worked in morgues and mortuaries of their strange experiences and of bodies, like, sitting up and doing things like that in post-mortem. Because apparently there's some, like, chemical reaction that the body can move. Right. But and that yeah. doesn't explain the, help me. Yes. Because, yeah,
1: if you were... J- the movement of a corpse and any like sounds of like vocal box release would probably be more like a oh like a like just like a grunt but to enunciate yeah. and to actually speak intelligent words in english and, and say mm-hmm. help me that is not a body just releasing itself yeah so wild so wild
0: oh my god and like poor also girl. just like as a doctor too You're probably working on operating on so much adrenaline trying to save this woman's life. And then you call time of death. And, like, finally maybe, like, you can – your body starts letting go of all that tension and adrenaline that's going. And then as you're kind of, like, trying to settle back into life, that happening to you would be so
1: scary. And to, like, not to bring up the arm because – You know. You know, it makes people feel a little woozy and faint, I know. I do think about it, but I don't know, medical personnel out there, you guys can be the one to answer this, but if the majority of the limb is severed, is there actual ability to make a fully clenched fist at all? Like that might not make sense in terms of just like the basic anatomy and function of
0: body. Oh, yeah. I don't know. My sentence didn't make sense either, but. I know what you're saying, but yeah, I I don't know. Let us know, someone. Someone let us know. Okay,
1: this is a long one, so buckle up.
0: I'm buckled in.
1: This is called I Grew Up in a House Full of Demons, and it is from Allison. Hey, brujas, happy spooky season. This was back in October. It's always spooky season. In honor of Halloween, I would like to share a collection of ghost encounters from my childhood. I know it is extremely long, but I promise it's worth the read. First, some backstory. When I was eight months old, my dad fell off the roof of our house and broke his neck. He survived, but not without severe effects from his accident. He lost much of his quality of life and has been really sick physically and mentally ever since. He was building an extension to our house when he broke his neck. The plan was to build the new extension, tear down the old house, which had been around since the early 1900s, and then expand the extension to make one big new house on his property. Sadly, after his injury, all he could do was make the new extension house livable. The home had heat, electricity, insulation, plumbing, etc., but it still remained unfinished. The floors in the living room were cement, while the floors in the rest of the house, including the stairs, were plywood. The insulation fiberglass was falling out of the walls, and at best, in some rooms, there was drywall. There were no carpets, there was no paint, there was no tile, and by default, this place was creepy. It was a horrible place to grow up. Thankfully, my parents got divorced when I was three, so I had another home to escape to when needed. My mom, my brother, and myself all believe that this paranormal stuff happened because my dad is a very negative, narcissistic, sociopathic, and depressed man who just attracts that kind of energy. He was that way long before his injury occurred, but the accident made it all worse. The following stories take place in the old house before it was torn down. Fun fact, I was actually born in that old house. I have literally been exposed to this darkness from the second I was born, which in hindsight explains a lot. The first story. When my parents were still married, my mom experienced some next-level stuff. She once woke up in the middle of the night and saw a little girl with long black hair standing in the corner of her bedroom. She saw her again on another night, except this time she woke up to the little girl crouching over her as she lay in bed. I have like clenched fists. It's scary. On another occasion, she saw a priest with glowing red eyes standing by her bed. Sadly, even though my father was asleep next to her, she felt no comfort from his presence. He didn't believe in anything remotely paranormal. I have an older brother, and when we were sleeping in the same room with bunk beds, I was three and he was five. He remembers seeing what I can only describe as a humanoid figure with spiked hands, elbows, feet, knees, and a spiked head walk past our room and through the wall. When we were teenagers, he drew me a picture of what he saw, which I'll attach in the email, which Sabrina just scrolled down. It's so freaking Wait, I'm scared. I don't know if I want to see it. It looks like an alien-type creature. Oh my god, it does. When I was only six years old, I had a reoccurring nightmare, and it would always start the same. I would be standing in our kitchen facing the sliding glass doors that accessed the backyard when all of a sudden I would freeze. A deep voice would say, I see you, and then start chuckling. My body would begin to convulse as it entered me through my chest, and then I would wake up. When I was seven, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw a silhouette of a really tall shadow man standing by my bed, staring at me. He was at least six and a half feet tall, very skinny, and had long arms and legs. We stared at each other for what felt like hours, and it was probably just minutes, but I could move around and think clearly, so I wasn't lucid dreaming. It wasn't until recently that I learned that shadow people are usually demonic. Interestingly enough, while it was terrifying, it went away when I told it to leave. Sadly, that was the friendliest encounter I've had with one of them. For the remainder of my years in the home, I would consistently wake up and see different shadow people by my bed. As soon as I opened my eyes, they would lunge at me, probably trying to scare me, which to their credit, they totally did, and then they would disappear. Once we moved everything into the livable extension, we tore down the old house. I was about 10. While digging up the old plumbing, we unearthed a hand dug hole in the ground, which was originally the entrance to a small tunnel where the furnace for the house was kept. Side note, when we still lived in that old house, the furnace room was only accessible through a trap door, which was, unfortunately, underneath the carpet in my brother and I's room. While living there, my mother never went inside. She was terrified of that furnace room and the hand-dug tunnel it resided in. I would later find out why. One day, my brother and his friend told me to jump into the hole in the ground where the furnace used to be kept. This is messed up. I don't want to read the rest of this. This is something my sister would have done to me. Hell no. They wanted me to retrieve a can of soup that fell inside. I wanted to impress him and his friends, so I did. But I made him promise not to cover the hole and lock me inside. I wouldn't be telling this story if they had listened. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I have chills. (gasps) As soon as I jumped in, they threw a piece of plywood over the opening and sat on it so I couldn't get out. It was cold. It was pitch black down in this pit. As I pounded on the plywood and screamed at them to let me up, I was overcome with an intense feeling of dread. Every hair on my body stood up on end, and I fell silent. I sensed an evil presence approaching me from the tunnel, walking slowly, as if it was taking its time. I couldn't see anything. I started desperately shrieking and crying as it grew closer, and right before it reached me, they finally let me out. That was the first time I ever said fuck you to someone. A few years later, we dug the backyard to build a shed and we found something very disturbing. We found the cremated remains of a toddler, specifically her clothes and her ashes. By the looks of her clothes, I'm guessing that she was a little girl aged about two or three who was cremated and buried there before my dad had bought the house back in the 80s. The little leggings were blue with light blue flowers, and the shirt was white with little pink flowers embroidering the edges. For the rest of the day, my brother and I felt as if something had attached itself to us, But once we reburied the clothes and the ashes in the far corner of the yard, we felt fine. I later went online and researched the property for hours in hopes of finding an obituary or something of the sort that would explain who this child was, but I never found anything. But whoever she was, may she rest in peace. One night when I was 13, I had just folded everyone's clothes and I was carrying a stack of my brother's clothes up to his room. In this house, there were no overhead lights, just lamps that you have to individually turn on and off. So I walked into this pitch black room and as I was reaching to turn on his lamp, I heard heavy breathing coming immediately from the right side of my face. Have you ever heard someone trying to breathe through an asthma attack? Picture that, but louder and faster and heavier. Now picture it happening right next to your ear. I was so startled that I couldn't see anything. So I just threw the closed in that general direction because that'll stop the demon or murderer and got the hell out of there. I casually asked my dad where my brother was, and my dad said that he was at a friend's house. When my brother came home later that night, I took him aside and told him what happened. I knew he would believe me after all. He'd seen spirits there too. But he didn't care. Ever since he became a teenager, he stopped believing me, and he would tease me if he thought I was scared. So I learned not to tell anyone. I was now completely alone. Before I tell you my scariest story, it's important that I mention that when I was 12, I got my own room which was really just a walk-in closet with no windows to the outside. However, I put a carpet and painted it blue and purple to look like a sunset, and it was the safest room in the house. I plastered pictures of at least 30 or 40 angels and fairies on the wall and put glow-in-the-dark stars on the ceiling. I felt protected there. I felt safe. I felt like an island in the middle of a dark and stormy sea. The following story was the last thing I ever encountered in my dad's house. It is, to this day, the scariest thing that has ever happened to me. I already have chills and I don't even know what happened. I know. I was 13. I was watching TV alone late one night and out of nowhere, I started to get an uneasy feeling. I checked the clock. It had just turned midnight. I had school the next morning and so I decided that it was about time that I got ready for bed. As I stood to turn off the TV, I happened to glance towards the stairs where I saw multiple black figures running silently, but quickly up and down, up and down. The stairs are plywood and the room they were in has cement floors, so the stairs are always incredibly loud and the sounds echo. I heard nothing as I watched them running. I forced myself to shut my eyes, take a deep breath, and stay calm. When I opened my eyes again, thankfully, they were gone, but the bad feeling persisted. I kept telling myself that all I had to do was make it to my room. I knew I would be safe there. Now, as I said before, there are no overhead lights in the house, so in order for me to go upstairs, I would have to turn off everything downstairs first. Walk up the dark stairs, walk down the dark hall, and then into the bathroom at the end of the hall where I could finally turn on a light. I reached the bottom of the stairs. Even though the shadow people are no longer there, my uneasiness kept growing and the hair on the back of my neck started to stand up. I felt like I was being watched from every direction. I promised myself I wouldn't run because I've learned that running only makes it worse. I took a deep breath, I turned off the last light, and in the darkness, I started walking up the stairs. After taking a few steps, I could hear very clearly something running up extremely fast behind me. I was terrified. All sense of calm fled at that moment and I sprinted up the rest of the stairs, taking them three at a time and down the dark hall with this thing or things on my tail the entire time. I slammed the bathroom door shut, I locked it, and I turned on the light. I felt somewhat safe and protected until I heard a loud and clear what I can only describe as shrill, maniacal clown laughter right outside the second-story bathroom window. There is no ledge or roof below the window. My brother was gone, my father was asleep, and there was nobody else in the house except for us. As much as I wanted to... Oh my god, I have so many chills. I know. As much as I wanted to say someone was playing a joke on me, it's impossible. Whatever laughed at me was floating two stories off the ground. It should also be noted that the spot where the bathroom window resides is the exact same spot where my dad slipped off the ladder and broke his neck 12 years prior. After hearing this laughter, I was petrified to my core. It confirmed that I wasn't just scared myself, there actually was something out there trying to get me. But I knew I couldn't stay in the bathroom all night because my dad would question me in the morning. He would act unpredictably when he got mad, and me being scared would make him mad. At an older age, I reflected on this and had a disturbing realization. At that moment, I felt safer leaving the confines of the bathroom and facing whatever malicious thing was out there rather than risk my father finding me out of place in the morning. Anyway, back to my story. I took a few deep breaths, flung open the bathroom door, and in the dark, I sprinted to my room. I heard whatever it was behind me again, running faster than humanly possible. I made it to my room just in time and I shut the door quickly only to hear a huge crash. I looked across the room to see the remains of my full-body mirror scattered across the floor. It had shattered, and I mean shattered, like somebody kicked a hole through the middle. I was horrified. Oh my gosh. I went to bed that night in a cold sweat, sobbing and shaking so hard I couldn't fall asleep for at least an hour. But all of a sudden, the terror that had a hold on my heart was lifted and replaced with peace. I then slipped into a deep, dreamless sleep. I woke up that morning and said, that I was done. I was leaving. I was permanently moving to my mom's house that day, and I haven't looked back since. I was finally able to begin my healing process shortly after leaving that house, all thanks to a shaman who performed what I can only describe as a mini exorcism on me. So, long story longer, when I was about to turn 14, my mom dragged me and my brother and myself to a spiritual lesson being taught by a Peruvian shaman. There were about 60 other people there, and we were all sitting in a large circle, and he was standing in the center of it teaching. In the middle of the lesson, he stopped mid-sentence, closed his eyes, and fell silent. We all looked around at each other, confused as to why he stopped so abruptly. And that's when he called me out by name. I had never spoken to him before. How did he know my name? He told me to get up and to stand in front of him. He said that, for the first time ever, his teacher had come from beyond the grave and inhabited his body so he could personally cleanse me of an evil energy that was inside me. And he needed to do it now. He performed the ceremony in front of everyone. I was mortified and dismissed the class right afterwards and left in a hurry. Years later, my mom told me that she saw him running to the bathroom after dismissing the class so that he could throw up, likely to release whatever he had taken out of me. My mom and I both agreed that I would not be alive today for it not for that shaman and the strength that I found within myself to leave that horrible home. All of the stories you read took place before i had even turned 15, but I didn't go through what I did not to come out stronger. I even have a guardian angel. I've seen her. I've felt her embrace. I saw her wings in my peripheral vision the night before my 16th birthday, the same night that I learned that my high school crush died by suicide. I felt her hug me until I stopped crying and was able to fall asleep. I am pleased to report that I am now in my 20s. I have overcome many more trials, but because I went through what I did and survived, I know I can get through anything. In a way, my childhood crush and teenage years were the best thing that has ever happened to me. The confidence, independence, and life lessons I gained from it have taken me to some of the best journeys of my life, and I look forward to many more. I learned to use my spiritual sensitivity safely, and I have become a spiritual guide for many of my friends and family. I now read tarot cards, cleanse people and their homes of negative energy, and have only surrounded myself with love, light, and people who care about me. Anyway, Sorry for the long email, ladies. I hope it was worth a read. For those of you who may be in a similar situation as mine growing up, you are loved, you are protected, and you will one day leave that place and find peace. Allison. I I feel like I don't have words. I know. Just that she was right. The fact that all of these things happened to her before she was
0: 15 years old. Terrifying. And to feel alone and like you're going through that by yourself. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. is so terrifying. That house reminds me so much of Haunting of Hill House. It's so dark. I know.
1: Just constant activity in all of the corners, and like it it doesn't just happen in a in a blip. It's not just like a fleeting moment of paranormal activity. It's consistent. It's happening all the time. It's very present, and for like long periods of time, you'll experience something. And two. I feel so awful. The fact that she pointed out and made the realization that she as a young child felt better about making the choice to battle essentially demonic entities rather than risk her dad finding her where she shouldn't be in the morning means that her Allison as a child didn't get any sort of respite
0: in daylight nor night. And for her to be so – like to – To get to that point where she was strong enough to make the decision, like, I need to leave this house and live with my mom. Oh, thank goodness. Wow. Allison, I am so sorry you had to go through this, but commend you on your bravery. You're amazing and so, so, so strong.
1: And what a beautiful message, Allison, that you wrote to everyone else at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You are loved, you are protected, and you will one day leave that place and find peace. Yeah.
0: And that poor child, the remains that they found and they, like, don't know – Who belongs to. Granted, I feel like, I mean, depends on how old the remains are, but, you know, like, people would lose loved ones and then bury them in their own plots, you know, back in the day. So it could just be a sad child's death.
1: I'm just thinking about the entity, like, slowly walking through the tunnel to the entrance that literally led up to her childhood room. And the thing, like, hovering there and, like, watching her. No, 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 no. Okay, well, this place is torn down, but I'm curious to know where the energy has gone. Gone.
0: Yeah. I don't want to know. No. I hope it's gone away forever. Oh, gosh. Okay. I have a story from April. Okay. That's called, My Brother Still Enjoys Scaring Me From Beyond. Hello, ladies. Thank you for making this amazing podcast for all of us who enjoy all things spooky and unknown. I always listen while I'm working, and it's the highlight of my week. I've had quite a few encounters from beyond, but the only entities that I've actually ever seen, or at least I'm aware of having seen, have been family members who have passed on. My younger brother is one of those, and he still enjoys scaring the shit out of me from beyond. My brother died in a tragic school bus accident five years ago this December, and since then I see and encounter him a lot. Before he passed, him and I enjoyed pranking each other and jumping out and scaring one another, and he still does this to me. So if anyone has suggestions on how I can get back at him once in a while, all ideas are welcome, lol. Anyway, he likes to do little things like turn on my TV in the middle of the night, randomly open and close doors, things like that. But the other night I had one of the most intense encounters with him and he nearly scared the shit out of me. I was laying in bed, lying on one side and my husband was on the opposite side and our four-year-old was laying in between us. My four-year-old was still awake, but I had my back turned away from him and I was facing the edge of the bed. He was cuddled up as about as closely as he could be right into my back and I was just about to fall fully asleep when inches from my face, I heard, hey, whisper really loudly at me. Not only did I hear it, but I felt warm breath on my face when it happened and it sounded just like my brother's voice. I nearly fell out of bed because it scared me to death and my son apparently saw something because he had a terrified expression on his face and quickly dove under the covers and started saying, Mommy, it's scary! I don't think my son would have recognized my brother because he was only a month old when he died. So I didn't feel like it was threatening or negative, but just that my son didn't recognize my brother. I ran out of bed, turned on a bathroom light, and burned some incense to calm my nerves before crawling back into bed. Thanks for all the scary stories. Sweet nightmares. Love, April.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Okay, it's equal parts heartwarming, and then it just irritating you know
1: (laughs) because i would be like yes i want to have encounters with my brother and like i i want to have these moments and these signs but
0: that's scary and he has the upper hand he's a ghost he has the upper hand and he's using it yeah i'm sorry april but i don't have any suggestions i don't know how to scare a ghost no (laughs) no I really don't. Unless you, like, create a fake paper mache version of you that he thinks is you.
1: Right. Like, pranking, I would think, like, I don't know, like, moving stuff around or doing some weird message on the voicemail. I don't know. Like, something that's more like April Fool's prank, not just scaring the living shit out of you and your child. But that's such a, like, brother thing to Absolutely. do.
0: Yeah. Or sibling, just in general. Right. Oh, my gosh. I wonder what her son saw, what her four-year-old saw. And I wonder if he sees him, well, it sounds like he didn't, he's never seen him before because he probably wouldn't be scared if he knew who he was, but right, I wonder if her brother does check in on him and, you know, watch him, but doesn't want to scare him. It's all about scaring her. Oh, wrong place, wrong
1: time for her son.
0: I know. Oh, okay. This is called The
1: Gray Man and it is from Amanda. Hi, I love you ladies. I'm living abroad in New Zealand and listening to you guys makes me feel like I'm home. My mom raised my sister and I to believe in aliens and ghosts, and so I have so many stories. Love it. She also 100% trusts pets, but more about that later. One of my favorite stories is about the gray man who warns people on the beaches of the Carolinas before a major hurricane comes. But some personal stories. So I grew up in South Jersey in a house built in the 1800s. We had a secret spiral staircase in the cliche creepy attic and basement. My sister and I shared a room located at the top of the main staircase. My parents' room was down the hallway a little to the left, across from the playroom. This room was basically a mini attic, and we were allowed to paint and draw on the walls. Fun, but sounds scary. Yeah. One night, I had a friend sleeping over. So me, my sister, and my friend were all asleep, and my sister wakes up screaming that there's a man in the doorway looking at us. There was absolutely no one there, but she was adamant, saying that she had thrown a shoe at him and that the shoe had gone through him. Sure enough, in the morning, there was a shoe outside the doorway. We never slept with the door open after that. I still can't. Weird things kept happening, like candles relighting after days of being lit, TVs turning on and off, loud bangs in the middle of the night with no explanation or messes on the ground, and you could sometimes smell the faint smell of cigar or pipe smoke. One day, I'd come home from work and went to sit in my mom's room. She was the only one that had AC, And I tried to open the door, but it felt locked. Well, more like when two people are both trying to open the door at the same time from different sides. I thought my sister was playing a joke on me since no one answered when I called out. And eventually the door opened, but no one was there. The door was the only way in and out of her room. Weirdest of all, we had four dogs and they would all sit at the bottom of the stairs and bark at the top landing where my sister saw the man. Eventually, my sister gave a description of the man she saw and researched the history of our house. She found photos of the original homeowner, and it was the same man that my sister saw. Okay, that's so cool. So cool. Like, she got an answer. Yeah. His name was Harold, and he has basically become a part of our family. My mom taught us not to be afraid. She also believes in aliens, and I'm pretty sure she thinks that she's been abducted, though she will never fully admit it.
0: You guys rock.
1: Cheers, Amanda.
0: Um, I want to hear about your mom's abduction story. Yes, and I need to know more about the gray man on the beaches of the Carolinas. Yeah, We should look that up. Give us alien stories. Yeah. I feel like I haven't read a good alien story in a long time.
1: This is our call to action for everybody. Send us your alien stories. But oh my goodness, how crazy that like they're experiencing all these things and they're scared and they're spooked and they smell cigarette smoke and they see a figure of a man and the TVs are (laughs) turning on and off and there's bangs and candles are randomly lit and all of these things are happening. And that would, I mean, clearly be so scary because it's- paranormal activity but then to actually discover exactly who it is and to have a real name
0: attached to the spirit like it does make it feel good then you know and then you kind of realize like oh he wasn't trying to scare us he wasn't doing these things like intentionally he's just kind of like trying to live in the house as well right 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 right. yeah it's very cool and i feel like that's such a rare
1: occurrence yeah no that's like every episode we say we just find answers but we'll never have any. But this is <laughs> this is one instance. They got we, the answers. We have
0: a few answers. Wow, this is awesome. It is. All right. What's the last story you picked out? I saved this one for last for a reason. This is from Charlie, and it's called "A Miracle." Hello, ladies. I have sent in some creepy ghost encounters before, but today I have a different type of story. It's not a ghost story, but a story I think you could appreciate. A few years ago, I took my twelve-year-old daughter on a fishing trip to Flaming. George Reservoir in early November. The north end of the lake is very remote and desolate. From our camp spot, you would have had to drive 20 miles to get cell service and maybe twice that to find a tree. We would spend the entire weekend fishing on the lake at that time of year and not see a single other boat. So we camped on a beach right at the water's edge, and across the lake from us, a little over half a mile, was a line of vertical red stone cliffs that rose over 200 feet from the water. Here and there were small coves in the cliffs. After setting up camp, we loaded our fishing gear into our canoe and went out to catch trout. In the afternoon, my boss arrived with his two boys to fish with us. We all got into his larger fishing boat and spent the day catching large trout. The fish that we really wanted to catch were active after the sun went down, so as the sun was setting, my boss decided that the air temperature was dropping, and he really didn't want to fish that night. He and his boys wanted to drive to a distant town and sleep in a motel. But he offered the use of his boat for us because we thought it would be safer to fish from his boat than ours during the night. We motored across the lake to one of the small coves. We turned on our headlamps and started to get our fishing gear ready. But then I lost my balance and fell. I landed on the transom at the back of the boat and pushed under the surface. The back of the boat filled with water and then capsized. I went into the water and so did my daughter. The boat flipped upside down on us and the water knocked out our headlamps. The water temperature was 42 degrees and the air temperature was sinking into the 20s. The water was so cold that it burned like scalding water. Heavy shivering set in immediately. And without a life jacket, the weight of our waterlogged clothes would have pulled us down right away. I called out for my daughter and was able to find her by following her voice. We swam into the dark cove and onto a small piece of sand just large enough for us to stand on. At that time, I realized that we were going to die. Ice was forming on our clothes and our life jackets. My daughter's boots had come off in the water and her feet were ice cold. We had no way of getting ourselves warm or getting out of that cove. Our camp was over half a mile across the water, and we were surrounded on three sides by vertical cliffs. I briefly thought of trying to swim across to get the canoe, but I was so cold that I could not get my legs to move. Plus, I knew that I would not make it in the 40-degree water, and I did not want to leave my girl behind to die alone. I cannot describe the feeling of total and deep despair that came over me. The only thing that we had was prayer. We took turns praying over and over that someone would find us and take us home. I don't know how long we prayed. Time became fuzzy with the hypothermia. I remember telling my daughter that we were going to pray one more time and then try to get some sleep, knowing that we would not wake up. We prayed, and then I looked out over the lake and I saw a boat. I saw the red and green bow lights and the white stern light. We started yelling at the boat to help us, but the boat kept going by. They were several hundred yards away, and they would not have been able to hear us or see us either. I pulled my headlamp off my head and pressed the button. It did not turn on. I told my daughter to try hers, but it didn't work either. I hit mine against my hand and pushed the button again, and the light turned on to the strobe setting. I held it up as high as I could, and we watched the boat go motoring by, further and further from us. When it was about to go around a point, we saw the bow lights turn and point right at us. In just a minute, two young boys were helping us into their boat. They took us across to our camp, helped us out of our ice-crusted clothes, and into dry ones. They sat with us in our van with the heater going full blast until they were sure that we were okay. We spent the night in the van, and in the morning, we started to pack up our camp. Right as the sun was coming up, the two young men showed up again. They went across the lake, found the boat, and towed it back to our camp, turned it over, and bailed out the water. As we were working, the two men told me that they had planned their fishing trip weeks ago, but then had canceled, but then, at the last minute, decided to continue and go on with the trip. They drove hundreds of miles and arrived after dark, and they decided to wait until the morning to fish, but something told them that they both needed to get onto their boat into the water. They both felt the need. My God. They had planned to go fishing to the south of their camp, but then they both felt that they needed to actually go north. They reached a part of the lake that splits into two channels and both had the feeling that they needed to go into the West Fork. About a mile up that fork, they spotted a strobing light and they knew right away that there was someone that needed their help.
1: (laughs) I literally, like my skin is about to jump off of my body because the amount of chills and feels I have right now. I
0: know. I know. I know. Wow. After talking, we knew that they were sent to rescue us. They were guided hundreds of miles to rescue us. They left their wives and children to go on what they thought would be a fishing trip, but was a clear rescue mission.
1: Oh this my is like, God, I'm gonna oh,
0: cry. I, I am crying. Sometimes when I'm not making the best choices in life, a voice comes into my head that asks, what are you doing with the life that I gave back to you? My daughter developed symptoms of PTSD and we got her into counseling with a PTSD expert the sessions inspired me to admit that I have PTSD from my decade of working as a nurse in the ER and get treatment myself. Thanks for your great podcast, Charlie.
1: I like, a, what do you even say to that? I know. That's unbelievable. That is like... A miracle. It's a miracle. Truly and that's, a miracle. Yeah. Oh, God. I just chill after chill after chill. I cannot believe it. I cannot believe it. Just even the description of how the men, how many... Yeah. decisions they had to
0: make to come across yeah. her and her daughter is unbelievable. At that exact time, like a few minutes later, or just even had they gone a few hours earlier and then returned back to the campsite. You know? Just yeah. like the things that had to happen for them to be in that place at the exact moment for them to make those decisions to go there. Crazy.
1: And for both men to be like, no, this is where we need to go.
0: Yeah. And then after... Uh, Because, like, you know, sometimes I feel like you have these feelings and you're like, I really want to do this or, like, I feel like I should go do this. And, like, you rationalize it in your head as, like, oh, like, you know, we made this plan. Like, why did we actually back out? We should just do it. But then after the fact, after these, like, constant feelings of needing to go certain directions to be like, oh, my gosh. Right. Those weren't the rational reasons of why I was saying, like, we feel like we need to go this way. It was because something was guiding us there to save charlie and her daughter the only decision that was made that could
1: have felt like oh well you know like we made we should just go was that very first decision of like okay well we had planned this let's just go every single decision they made after that didn't really make logical sense they were going into a boat at night instead of fishing during the day like they had planned they literally took like every opposite path that they had planned to take
0: Oh, my God. Oh. And I'm so, so glad, Charlie, that you and your daughter are okay. I can't even imagine, no. like, having that feeling of we're not going to wake up. It's no, I so... can't either. It's devastating. Wow. Wow.
1: Well, I don't – I think we should end on that. Do you want to?
0: I don't think we should go
1: on. No. <laughs> okay, we can end on I that. Think that is, like, the most miraculous thing, and we should leave people with those feelings of hope and – just know okay. that the universe has got your back and is sending people to look out for you.
0: Okay. That's a great way to end it. So much light and love. Yeah. Yeah. If
1: I mean, think about it. It's like you have your friends and family looking out for you. You have deceased family members, spirit guides, just maybe some people that are haunting your house even if you don't know it and are just enjoying spending time with you, looking out for you. And mm-hmm. now you have random strangers that are being sent your way. When you need it. Mm-hmm. The universe is looking out for everybody.
0: Yeah. It works in such strange, mysterious ways.
1: Oh, boy. Well, oh, if you guys want to send in your stories, please do. Our email is podcast at gmail.com. You can find our email on our social media. You can find it in the show notes.
0: You can find it on our website. There are so many ways to support us. If you feel inclined, we... Really, really encourage and hope you can rate and review us on iTunes. And then we have social media, we have merch, and we have Patreon. You can also do word of mouth. Tell your friends. Tell your friends.
1: Thank you to Eric Foster at Upfire Digital and the rest of his team for editing our podcast. And we will see you you on the other side. Very spooky.